um, with the sickness. So, look, here's what we know. What we know is everyone got sick because of apparent food poisoning. I think even, to me, even when uh, David Poyle said, uh, I heard it was the chicken soup, it almost sounded like just an offhand comment. It didn't even sound like it was really a commitment to it was chicken soup. Did, did you take that or did you think, oh, it was chicken soup? I mean, who? I, I really doubt you had a whole bunch of hockey players eating chicken soup after a hockey, <laughs> after like a game in Detroit. Um or before a game of trade, just like yeah, the whole team sat down and had chicken soup together. <laughs> Doesn't seem like what you eat before a hockey game or the night like before. I don't know. It yeah. just it, it just felt like it's just something to throw out there. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about you know their whole craft services food setup before the games. But I mean, they were in Detroit for two days. They could have had like I don't know. Their lunch might have been a soup and pasta or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's possible, but I wouldn't commit to it. it honestly, it doesn't really matter that much. Right? Yeah. It, because here's the thing. I mean, uh, but where do we direct our rage, Mario? Yeah. I don't understand. Do I, how do how do, do I, can I can I not like attack a food stuff stuff of any sort? Could, can we not bring Campbell's to its knees? We're marching on Chick Fil A tomorrow because they're not open today. Well, well, today would be the perfect time to do it. Then they would never see it coming. There'd be no one there though. Yeah, but the chicken's still there. You're like marching into Siberia. The food's still there. I can figure out how to work a fryer. Coming up, freaks. And welcome back to the show that doesn't have all the answers, but still tries desperately to come up with some. You're listening to the broadcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. I'm Alex, sitting in for Dan again. Um, I'm joined here with Chris Link and Maria. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, we we this is this is a nice early recording time. I think this might be the earliest we've ever recorded. Yeah, uh, a show. I mean, we are on the border of of brunch, which would be I think exciting. I had brunch on my way here. Oh not, well, not on off. my way, not in the car, but <laughs> that'd be that's the sa- that's the saddest brunch. The saddest brunch is driving is is brunching your Mini Cooper. Yeah, that's probably true. In the car, just in the in the Kroger bag, just you've got all the pieces there. It's, yeah, I brought brunch flavored candy corn. What's pretty good. She did. It it's it's very sweet, but it is it's interesting. Oh, so we are having brunch at the at the show. Yeah, I, I have I I have been up since five a.m. So. What have you been doing? Um, well, oh, well, I, I just to say I'm I'm a little bit delirious, but I got up five because the North London derby between Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal was at six. Um, we were at a different pub. Our our pub got bought by some brewery from San Diego okay. or something, and so we went to uh, Belcourt Taps, which I've had never been to before. Yeah, I mean, they did a fantastic job for us. They made breakfast. They had like a full English breakfast that was special on the menu. That was six dollars. Wow. I mean, it was oh, wow. six dollars, like eggs and toast and bacon, and sausage eat. and. No, oh, just okay. a plate. It's a plate of food. Okay, I mean, yeah, there were just like really troughs of beans eat. that you we were like just scarfing <laughs> from. Yeah, so they did it. It was fantastic, but it leaves you tired because you go from oh, I'll have breakfast and a couple of beers and a cup of coffee to I'm going to go grocery shopping. I'm going to prep for a show. I'm going to record a show. Right. Uh, so, so you've it, been up a while. I I have been up a while. The the daylight savings time change saved me, gave me an extra hour, or else I would just sort of be moaning into the microphone. Sadly. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, where does just real quick, where does the Tottenham Arsenal um, rivalry rank? Is that the number? Is that the the biggest rivalry in for for Tottenham? For to- oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, I mean this is this is you know the the Huns have invaded 
okay. type thing because Arsenal moved from South London mm-hmm. and decided there wasn't enough money for them in South London. So they decided they when they went to their new arena years ago, like oh we'll build it in North London because there's more money there because mm-hmm. they went to the, the nice part of North London. Um, and so they just abandoned their fans in South London and moved up north. And so they're sort of the the traitor intruders. Gotcha. Because the okay. the Arsenal, uh, the Woolwich Arsenal. Uh, Underground stop is actually is not near Arsenal because they moved. They okay. used to be, used to be in the same spot. So you go to the Woolwich Arsenal subway okay. stop. You got you can go see Arsenal play. Okay. But then they moved you know to the north North London. So you know. So is there is there a hockey equivalent of this rivalry? St. Louis Chicago maybe. Uh, well, yeah. I I, I mean pr- that I think that's decent except for the fact that in that that scenario Tottenham would have to be St. Louis and I'm not okay with that <laughs> um, because oh, yeah. Arsenal because <laughs> um, because Arsenal has been historically a richer much richer club mm-hmm. um, in the past probably 10 20 years um, a significantly richer club right. so um, they just been, they can just kind of buy their way to the top which is which their fans love mm-hmm. granted their fans are mostly garbage if you're an Arsenal fan I don't mean you right you're listening to the show I love you <laughs> Mario how was your week it was pretty good. Really enjoying all the weather. It stopped being 90 degrees here, and that's been pretty great. Oh, my gosh. I, I hate the heat, and I'm so glad that it is 72 degrees outside. A little bit of a breeze. Feels great. Fantastic. And I enjoy, you know, southern weather, but when it's 90 degrees and it's November, we're, like, breaking records every single day. That's too much for me. I, I will take, easily, I will take 12 degrees outside over 90. I cannot stand the heat. I love cold. It's almost like this is a hockey podcast or something, and people Weird. who don't mind the cold... I know. Strange how that works. I know. Well, uh, it's been a couple weeks since <laughs> we've had a couple a, weeks. We've had been a couple weeks since our pre- last podcast. Uh, you know, we had to we had a bit of a um, scheduling problem. We had to avoid last week, so we are back. And um, wow, what a couple weeks, huh? I'm emotionally devastated. <laughs> Link has no emotions left. How about yourself? Do you have any emotions left? Not really. Yeah, I'm a little drained. Uh, I, you know, I was at the game last night. I'm sure many of you were uh, looking forward to seeing this team who just came back from an awful road trip to see what they could bring and boo, right down the tubes against a bad Hurricanes team. They, they, they stared the expectations in the eyes and, and not only did the Predators blink, they managed to trip over uh, every root branch, leaf, insect, anything that you could find in a forest, the natural Predators managed to trip over uh, with the exception of... of um, a, a giant snowdrift that is the that is the Carlo Avalanche. They managed to to mount that and, and conquer it like it were Everest. No, the expectations were lying on the ground, and they dug a hole underneath them. Oh yeah, I, I, I think you you absolutely nailed it. Yeah, um, they, they dug a pit. They filled it with spikes to make a trap. You know, like cartoon style, covered it up, and just stepped right into it. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> let's, so let's just do this for the next hour, guys. Yeah, let's do, let's do this properly. Let, let's kind of recap what's happened over the last two weeks since we've since we've not done it not not uh, had a chance to to cover it the predators have gone one two and three in their last six games including a one two two um road trip uh in california and arizona and colorado that included a 6-1 loss to the ducks a 3-2 overtime loss to the kings a 4-1 loss to the sharks and all three of those losses were were just bad just really bad a 5-1 win over the avalanche yay and then a 3-2 shootout loss to the Coyotes when they had a lead. And a 3-2 shootout loss to the Hurricanes when they had a lead. In addition, Mike Fisher out with an injury. Philip Forsberg still has not scored a goal. 
Your most reliable skaters on offense are Matt Irwin and Craig Smith. <laughs> Only half of that's funny. Don't 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 be mean to Smithy. Craig Smith's been fine. Craig Smith has been the the main the main reason we haven't gone, you know, that that they have won a game and and that they've they've actually put up some points on the board. Mm-hmm. In addition, two more things. The best part of the team early on has been the power play, but in addition to that, they've given up three shorthanded goals. Um which last year they had two all year. Uh, previously they had five and 14, 15, and then the uh, year before that they had zero, zero shorthanded goals. So they gave up three shorthanded goals this year in 11 games. And then ultimately, you know, the team finds itself absolutely buried in the standings, um, only nine points in 11 games. So that's where we are. That's, that's where things stand. Um, what are just your general reactions to what's happened over the last two weeks? I'm honestly amazed that we're only a couple of points underneath 500 and that we're only a couple of points out of the playoffs right now just to how horribly they've played. Right. Yeah, and it, it, it plays into the, you know, you're not really supposed to evaluate the team until you hit 20 games sort of narrative. And I, I think that's still... Thanks, tr- Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's still roughly true because, as Mario said, they're not that far out. Uh, but the way things are trending, they are increasingly going to be further and further. I mean, picking up a few of the mercy points, I mean, they picked up the, kind of the three mercy points in the past two weeks, um, plus the Colorado win have sort of kept them afloat. Uh, but many of those games, the way they, that they lost and ultimately lost in overtime were not attractive and, and certainly demonstrated the same problems in those games as, as we would see in games where they were getting hammered. Mm-hmm. Just it tended to be coming down to things like shooting percentages. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, it, if you were to play this out over an 82-game season, getting basically a point a point a game, which is not even where they are right now, that's a, that's a bad season. I mean, that's that's high draft pick kind of numbers. I mean, so you you feel like there's no way that they can continue that, but does anything on the ice necessarily tell us that that they won't continue that trend? I don't know. I I think there's I mean there's I think there's a lot of positives in this team. Uh, I think they're more talented than they were than last year overall. Um, I, I just think as far as the things that are hurting them, I mean, some of it is just I think there's some bad luck going on. There's some really terrible shooting percentages that are probably going to go up a few percentage points. Uh, and then, I, you know, I, I still think a lot of their problems are decision-making and mental mistakes. And I think those are very addressable things um, amongst the team and also amongst the coaching staff. I think that they, those things can be addressed. Uh, you know, you look at the shorthanded goals. I, I, a lot of those you can say you can you can look at and say, okay, well, they, some of them come from pinching, and some of them come from this obsession with trying to dish the puck across the middle of the ice when the opposing power PK unit has a perfect square box set up, and are like, oh, well, thanks, guys. Right. Like all the all the predators are on the perimeter, and they're like, we're just going to pass it into the middle of this box of right. opposing skaters, and, and they do things like that repeatedly. And, you know, the, it's all these things. You can just kind of see these discrete little moments about why the Predators are, are not successful. And that's what's frustrating. It's not that they're a bad team out there. It's not like they're, you know, uh, uh, a Winnipeg Jets or Buffalo recovery-style team. They're still built to win. They're still built to win. But either people aren't taking shots or they're just kind of throwing them randomly. Um, just th- There's a lot of things that make me just kind of shake my head and, like, how are they not— addressing this how do they not look and say well here are the clear mistakes you're making on the tape 
why did you make that decision and how do we avoid having, you know, how, how do we make that, how do you make the decision correctly next time? How do you read the play better? I just feel like it's right there and no one seems to be grabbing it, um, which makes me think of two things. Either I'm missing something really obvious and I'm super, super wrong, which is definitely possible. I always thought it's possible <laughs> or, or I'm just perplexed. I don't think you're wrong. I, I think there's a lot, a lot to be said for that. Yeah, they're not going to be shooting at, what, 5% for this entire um, thing. But also, a few things. Like, one, intangibles. Like, I don't feel like they've been playing the way they should in that whole, you know, they've they've looked really lazy and overconfident so far, especially in those losses in California. They were god-awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe our defense just isn't shooting enough. Matt Irwin has three goals because he's been bombing away from the point, and who else has been doing that? Nobody. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In our first in our first game against Chicago, we got two goals from Yossi and Subban. And when they have have they been doing that recently? I don't think they have. Those been. Are also the Subban was of course he's only scored in the power play yes. so far. Because I actually looked it up. I just was curious about shooting percentages. These are guys who are shooting zero percent at five on five right now. So we have Forsberg, Ekholm, Fisher, Ribeiro, Ellis, Subban, Johansson mm-hmm. are all guys shooting zero percent. And then you have like Neil who's at seven percent, uh, Arvidsson at seven percent. So you start getting to more normal numbers. Yeah, but. But even that's really low for those two. Yeah. I mean, your 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 depth guys are, you know, about where you'd expect them to be. Yeah. But the guys who are supposed to be taking a lead in terms of making things happen are just zeros across the board. Right. Um, and granted, Fisher, I think, is having, if, just looking through his season so far, he's had a few bright spots, but he's been fighting it this year. I mean, he's not, he's just not doing great out there overall. Um, and not that he's not working hard and doing the things he's being asked to do. He's just, he was talking about retiring two years ago. Mm-hmm. And he's playing still, and I think it shows. Yeah, I think, and we're definitely going to talk about shooting um, more as we go. I mean, there's a lot to talk about there because of just if, if we're if we're considering that a lot of this team is not playing to their potential, there's a lot of that going around, and there are certain players that are playing to their potential. I think Craig Smith, I think we'd all agree, is playing very well right now. He's got five goals, leads the team in that category, um, and it just and also when you watch him on the ice. You saw this last night. You saw this in, in the even in the losses. When he gets the puck, he he is very urgent with the puck. He knows what he's trying to do. He knows his role, and he knows he, he does it. He executes it. He he sp- uh, skates with speed. He shoots it well. Um, he's um, going into areas that are more dangerous. He's not just you know taking what the defense gives him. He's he's forcing his way into into certain areas. Craig Smith is playing well. Um, I would say Victor Arvidsson is playing well. Obviously, you, you mentioned Matt Irwin. I, I think Matt Irwin's playing well. Who else is playing well? Colin Wilson's playing well. Colin Wilson is playing well. I, absolutely. It, you can't deny that. I mean, he's, he's if, if we're if we're eschewing the whole top six forward, he's going to be a 30-goal scoring winger, he's fine. He's he's doing just fine. He's also, he's also you know, last year he shot at like 4%. This year he's shooting six. at like 75 yeah. 8%. Yeah. Way way better, and that's right. it. That's only five on five. That's not right. power play type stuff. Um, let's let's back up just a little bit. I do want to talk a little bit about the awful week in California. Of course, there was the six one loss to the Ducks. I don't want to talk too much about this, but allowing five goals in the second period when two of them are shorthanded, that's bad. That's that's inexcusable. You really don't deserve to win if you do that. I, I think, and I don't think we've ever. I don't think the Predators have ever given up two shorthanded goals. In one game, let alone the same period. No. Um, it, <laughs> that was a anything that can go wrong went wrong. Yeah. Um, for the Predators, I mean, not only did they get shorthanded goals, but the Ducks, I think, went like three for four in the power play. Yeah. I mean, 
talk about disaster. It was really bad. It, you had the Ryan Johansson got an unsportsmanlike conduct for yelling at the ref or something. I Did guess. Ribeiro get chucked too in that game? I'm he trying got chucked to... at the end and didn't. Yeah, Ribeiro got chucked yeah. as well. And I think Neil took a cross-checking at the end of the game, or was that... I think that was game? in the next... I think that was at the Kings. Uh, no, Ribeiro was a previous one. Ribeiro was just, was just you know, doing Ribeiro things. Because in the Kings game two days later, James Neal got an unsportsmanlike conduct, but you're talking about at the end of the Detroit game, I think. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's what we were thinking about. But that you know, there was just a lot of that. So we're getting we're getting all of our our sadness is is blinding us. Right, it's, exactly. all, it's all blurring together into just a big muddy pile of like brownish gray paint. But that's a good example of what happens with this team when it plays poorly. You got players on our team that that do not react well to adversity. I mean, I I like James Neal a lot. I like Ryan Johansson a lot. Mike Ribeiro. I like James Neal a lot. But when there's <laughs> Unsportsmanlike conducts when your when your team is down four one do not do a good job of, of or doesn't give the appearance that you are really a team player and, and there's no way to there's no way you can like high sticking hooking tripping these are all things you can do accidentally even even elbowing and boarding there's a lot of times I know players don't intend to do these right. things unsportsmanlike conduct you you have to I mean there is no mistaking about it mm-hmm. you have to cross that line you have to do it willfully and you know, we're we're how many games have we in the season? Like eleven or 12? eleven? Yeah, I, I, you think I'd, I'd? We're three. There five, it is. Three, five, and three. Yeah, yeah there it is. Um, they just walk into these things, mm-hmm. and it's really depressing to watch. But when you when you face adversity and you, first of all, you go down and by a, a huge number of goals like that against the Ducks. Um, and even face adversity, like when you you have a lead against the Kings and then you you kind of lose it, uh, that's not that's not good for your your team psyche to to start yelling at refs or yelling at doing things that they're going to get you in the penalty box for other than plays on the ice. Um, since we kind of talked about the, the Kings game already, real quick about that one, that was uh, you know the Predators came out with a bit of a better effort in that one. If you remember, they they. Yeah, I mean, in, in that se- in that series of the, the, that West Coast trip, I think they actually that was probably one of their best looking games as far yeah. as effort. I mean, they got really lucky in the Colorado game in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, or just playing a weak Colorado team. Sure, but yeah, and that one they actually came out and they looked they looked decent. And I, I did learn they were pretty it, good that game. Yeah. Um, the the problem is, uh, you know, after you get beat down by the Ducks, playing the Kings the next two nights later. It's not a recipe for success. Well, especially you know, you, you want the team to come out with a with a statement. You want them to come out and say, "Well, okay, we got hammered. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. We mm-hmm. had, it was like a Murphy's Law game. We want to get past it. We want to be dominant." And I mean, they looked like they were on the cusp of being dominant, but they just couldn't put it together. And I think because the Kings are a hard team to play. I mean, they're very physical. Um, Rene was fine in that game. He he. He gave up our. He stopped forty. Hit forty two saves. Forty four. Forty five shots in the game. Um, Rene was was perfectly fine in that game, and I think that's something we're going to talk about later. Is Pecorine? Yeah, but I I think the other thing I want to call it from that game, and this was, I mean, the Kings game was just kind of a little bit brutal to watch at times, despite the effort the Predators put in. But overtime, Predators three yeah. and three. We know they're bad. The uh, penalty that Kopitar drew. I mean, there we we see embellishment in the league sometimes, mm-hmm. and they call it, and they call it both ways. How Kopitar did not get an embellishment call on yeah. that penalty—that's crap—was horrible. I mean, 
like yeah okay there was the slightest of there was a the slightest of hooks i mean you i understand you're gonna call it the the stick was there but i mean there's no reason for copart to spin a full 360 and fall down to his knees even the king's announcers called that house I mean, embellishment he looked like a ballerina it yeah. was it was really bad and and granted i don't <laughs> is that what caused the predators to lose in overtime probably not but it was it, it certainly didn't help a team that has shown that they do not really know what to do in, in three on three. I mean, it technically wasn't because the power, there wasn't a power play goal they scored on. But I think the Kings held the puck in the zone the entire five on five. For, it, they they scored with about with 20, 29 seconds left. I'm pretty sure the Kings had it in the uh, zone the uh, entire time. If there's one thing the Predators have shown they can they that they can uh, deal with in this season, it's it's being stuck in their zone for a really long time. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think the Preds want to face off in that overtime. It was that was bad. It was really painful to watch that because, and I mean, I don't know how many. I think they got six or seven shots in that overtime. That's pretty crazy to get that amount of shots, and and still not score until thirty seconds left. Usually, if you get that many shots, you're scoring pretty early. But, um, so that was a a, a poor finish. Good start, but a poor finish in that one. Um, two days later in San Jose. They lose 4-1 to the Sharks. Um, this was where it sort of reminded you of, well, reminded you of two games. Reminded reminded you of the Ducks game a few week, a few days prior. It also reminded a lot of people of Game 7 last year where the Sharks poured it on in a series of just a few minutes. Um, and uh, it wasn't quite that bad. But but you had that, that Pavelski goal where he just flat-out beat Roman Yossi to the spot when it came off the backboard. And he got it right by uh, Pecorino, who actually carried the puck into his own net. Um, a great play by Pavelski. Roman Yossi's got to make that play. He's got to get there. He, that's that's a play that you have to react to better. Um, I, I think this was another game where we saw uh, where the loss just came from it poor decision making. Um, that was, I mean, like I literally, I just have, I took, I took fewer and fewer notes as we went forward. <laughs> I just kind of got sunk deeper and deeper. And all I really wrote down is poor individual decision-making, lack of chemistry, other players trying to compensate. Yeah. So I, I think that that game, until the third period, the third period they start, started turning it around and were like, oh, could this maybe be a way yeah. they could, something they could build off of? Uh, but bef- up until then, it was just a bunch of guys just trying to make it work, but not knowing how to work together to do it. Right, yeah. Uh, um, looking at that game, I think a lot of people... and. That third period against the Sharks was probably one of their best periods, even though they didn't win it on the, the goal counter. It was an insane possession score, a, a possession game for the Predators just in that third period. Um, and that kind of led us into the, the Colorado game where things went much better. Yeah, and the, the, the hook between those two things, between the San Jose game and the Colorado game, is uh, when Fisher, as the captain, came out and said, well, we, we're not tough enough to play against. And then we saw... Fiala scratched for Cody Bass in Colorado. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Um, so, fast forwarding to the, uh, sorry, the uh, the Colorado game. So, was this just an overcorrection? Was this like just you know the the shot percentage or sorry the shooting percentage kind of catching up to us or um, what, what happened with that Avalanche game? Why did things go so well in that game? You think they got lucky and they did play better? Okay. So Varlamov has had a bit of a rough season so far this year, but a lot of it was just, you know, the shooting percentage coming back. I'm, it's not that I didn't want them to win the game, but the fact that they scratched Fiala and put in Bass. And then one, you're just sort of like, granted, granted, Bass was totally ineffective. <laughs> um, 
it's just totally ineffective. And, ha- and I think everything that was good happened while he was off the ice. Uh, I think I tweeted about that substantially. <laughs> I right. I don't, did I tweet anything that wasn't Bass related or, or being mean to ba- Bass? I, I apologize. I'm sure Cody well, Bass Craig is a very Smith nice scored guy. a couple times, so he must have tweeted I, Okay, about so I did, I did tweet about, about that, so that's yes. good. Okay. Craig, Craig Smith had two. Uh, it was Craig Smith and Matt Irwin in the first. Uh, Ryan Johansson in the second on that power play where he got, a, got the goal on the, that sort of really tough angle. Uh, almost behind the net, and then uh, Roman Yossi, who that was that play was all Ryan Johansson because he had that incredible patience to kind of wait on Varlamov to come way out of the net and uh, passed it right to Yossi, who was right in the slot, and then Craig Smith in the third. So yeah, five one was the total in that. Um, I'm not sure that they were doing anything majorly different. It's just that the shots went in. No, it's just, uh, Colorado is is still a team in transition. They've got some really really strong players, but they have they still have some depth issues, and they're adapting to his new system with a new coach so there's weak points i mean it, it happens with teams um and i mean the biggest takeaway i got from that game is we got to see wilson and uh smith pretty much set as a pairing at even strength i mean it's not was not uncommon last year and this year to only see those two together on the power play um but the guy, those two guys have chemistry they work well together um ribero does decent mm-hmm. um on a line with them so it it clicks better than a lot they have chemistry this team desperately needs chemistry with line mates so just seeing them stay together for a length of time not get jumbled up i thought was a positive uh you might have some defensive concerns with that but i mean con wilson can can back check craig smith will do the work there's another together do pretty well defensively having ribero in between them if you want the carolina carolina game will become later but the that pairing in the defensive zone is kind of a nightmare Mm -hmm. yeah um, we haven't really touched on this yet, but in this in this kind of last two weeks has been the, I guess, permanent switch where Subban is now with Ekholm, Yossi is now with Ellis. I guess it was a little, maybe it happened before, prior to the or the last time we talked. But um, what are your thoughts on that so far? Do is that something that we can? Is that is that going to stick? It certainly seems like it's going to stick. I mean, you see a lot of chemistry between Subban and Ekholm now. Uh, Subban seems comfortable with that. Yossi and Ellis seem comfortable. But at the same time, the results are not necessarily coming. I mean, Ellis and Ekholm have yet to score. Uh, Roman Yossi is not playing great right now. Uh, P.K. Subban occasionally shows you some great things. But, you know, what's is that? do you think that that's the top four? Is that the order? Or are we still going to see this change, you think? I, I really like those pairings. I think they do work well together. There seems to be a little of just not knowing what their roles are. That's causing some trouble right now. Yeah, I, I think um, the the Sue Ben Ekholm is a little bit more stable right now. I think they get it. Um, I think Ekholm is used. He's used to playing with Ellis a lot and used to being the guy who, who hangs back a bit more. Right. Um, the reasons I think you're seeing Yossi struggle is because Ellis wants to go forward. Yossi wants. To, I mean, it's, you have the same issue you almost had with Subban Yossi, where both want to want to be the guy going forward. Uh, so they just have to get a feel for how to handle that. Yeah. Um, and, and really, it's also going to come down to who's being deployed in front of them. Because right. when you have uh, Yossi Ellis and in front of them, uh, you have the, the trio of um, who's it been most recently? Uh, Watson, Sissons, and Bass. That is that is tough. I think the last time that was... is tough for Yossi yeah. and Ellis. Yeah. Um, and they're in that situation a lot because Yossi's seen as the defensive, you know, like the defenseman. Um, mm-hmm. whereas or in terms of, you know, 
going back. So, I mean, that's just a tough, that's, it's tough to be successful when you're being deployed in the defensive zone with those guys in front of you because those guys cannot clear the puck to save their lives. Right. Yeah, at least he's not the only person out there who can skate with that, with that setup anymore, but it's still not, you know, optimal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the Avalanche game uh, went well, obviously. 5-1 went over the Avalanche. Things you felt like, well, if we if they can continue this and finish it off in Arizona, you know, it's not a terrible road trip. It would have been 2-2-2, two, two, and two, or 2-2-1, two, two, and one, rather. Um, and that would have been good. And most of the way through that Arizona game, it looked that way. Uh, in Arizona... Craig Smith gets a gets a goal. Matt Irwin gets a actually Matt Irwin scored for, first. He got a goal. Craig Smith gets a goal. Um, things are looking pretty good, uh, but then you have let's see. Um, the the game tying goal was was the Duclair goal, and and one thing about that that I noticed, it was on a breakout coming back into the zone. It was two one at that point. Max Domi has the puck. Great skater a really, really great young talent in the league. Um, Subban tries to make this sort of open ice hip check at the top of the, at the top of the slot completely whiffs. Domi goes right by him, gets a shot on goal. Duclair comes in pretty much wide open, has no one, no pressure coming from anywhere, gets the puck on the rebound and just, and scores. That was some bad defense. I mean, there there were some really bad defense played in the third period in that in that Arizona game. Um, even though you know prior to that, you know the rest of the game, things had gone well. Um, is that a bad? Is that the worst loss of the year? The Arizona loss. Uh, it was. I think it was the most embarrassing loss of the year. Uh, I mean, to call to call out something that stood out to me uh, in overtime. Doming, did I am I saying that? I you know me in names. I think it's Doming. Doming. You know, yeah. I say names wrong all the time, so keep <laughs> me honest. Um, I like to get them right, but I rarely do. Uh, you know he he was not in great shape in overtime. Um, I mean they were talking about right. pulling him off. I right. mean, he was clearly hurting. The trainer came out. He was not moving. What was not comfortable. Predators cannot do anything. They cannot. They they cannot move the puck to pull him out of position. They cannot do anything against an injured goaltender who's just hanging in there because you don't want to put in a cold goaltender yeah. who doesn't have any time to warm up. And they got six shots in that overtime, but none of the, on they, a power play. But they weren't like they weren't good shots. They weren't good. Sh- they were just throwing the puck. I mean, it's an injured goaltender. Get him moving laterally. Yeah, uh, that it's basic. This is basic stuff. I'm not saying it's easy to, to to move the puck laterally or things when everyone's trying to defend. But that's what you have to do in that situation to be most successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are painfully ineffective to watch in overtime. The fact that they did manage to get that many shots is surprising to me. And I think most of that came on the power on the power play when they had, uh, I forget what happened, was it a delay game in the power play um, or in the overtime? But anyways, they were on the power play, four on three, could not score, obviously. It was and, a hooking. Hook, hooking, okay. Yeah. And they got six shots in that overtime, and I just don't think any of them were even dangerous. I mean... There's been so much of that where in the offensive zone, the Predators can get shots or shot attempts at least, but most of them are, you know, anytime that they send up a pass cross ice, either the pass is not crisp enough, so it's not on their, on, not on their blade, or they take forever to actually get a shot on goal, and the goaltender has plenty of time to get in, back in, in the right position. Or a defender gives them time for a defender to come over and deflect it into the, into the net or into the out of play. Yeah, and that's been happening more and more, I think, over the course of the season. 
it's it's so frustrating yeah, to watch. Yeah, my my because everything's so negative. I'm trying to find bright spots in these <laughs> games. My my bright spot coming out of the Arizona game is I I thought that in in all of that ineffectiveness, I thought Wilson looked really really good. Um, mm-hmm. He had some fantastic plays. I still think, as far as forwards go, off the puck, he is one of the best players off the puck um, on point. the offense. Yeah. He always seems to be exactly where he needs to be. The problem is is that no one seems to expect him to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, or he seems to get really lucky, like the puck will ro- will hop over the stick or roll over. I mean, these are, it's it's hockey; these things happen all the time. But I, he he really did a really great job. He's not going to get credit for it because it was all off the puck or you know positioning type. Like I still say, Colin Wilson is like in hockey; he's like a num- the number eight equivalent in soccer. He's like he's a he's a right. creative midfield player. Off the ball, he's not gonna he's not gonna, he's not out there to score. Mm-hmm. All the time, he's out there to make offense and create plays. And, yeah. and Wilson um, demonstrated again on it in Arizona that he's one of the best predators in just terms of creating offense. Uh, it's just the team needs to take advantage of those opportunities more regularly. He and uh, Craig Smith had a great two-on-one opportunity last night in the Carolina game, mm-hmm. and the I think it wasn't a great pass. Sort of hopped off a stick, and you whiffed trying to put it at the net. So. Yeah, has the has the Wilson Ribeiro Smith line been the the most consistent line of the year? Uh, I mean, as far as the fact that Craig Smith's the only one generating <laughs> points, um, and yeah. and Wilson is definitely a big part of that. Um, and Ribeiro, I mean, his passing when when he sets when he gets his pass right, he gets it very right. Yeah, he does. Uh, so and there's there's a lot of things, and they're just it, it's the line is probably most used to each other, and they just again Wilson Smith natural chemistry. They've yeah. had it forever. They've always been kept apart because they have the perception of not being hard enough working or not being defensively sound enough, so they were never deployed regularly together outside of the power play. Um, but keeping them together, it's the only kind of bright source of, of offense for the Predators right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I, I think if, you, if you're looking at any, any line that is going to consistently produce any kind of an offense, right now it's all you have. It, it's that's that Ribeiro-Smith-Wilson line. Uh, in the overtime, just real quick about the Arizona game. So uh, at one point, the Predators had an 18-6 shot advantage. That was after the first. 18-6. That became a 31-28 to advantage by the end of regulation. So the so do, do some quick math there. Basically, the Predators had 13 shots in the second and third period. The Coyotes had 22. So the Coyotes definitely improved. Um and the Predators did not play, like I said, they, they did. They just did not play great defense in, in front of uh, Rene. Uh, could not score. The shootout was just, literally, that's the worst you can do in a shootout. It's the, literally the worst. You can't, if you don't score your first two and then you let in the first two, that's the worst you can do. Yeah, and, you know, Rene is not a great shootout goaltender. He never has been. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this probably in the, in the second half, yeah. but, you know, you just see it, and, and that's why... I wanted to see the Predators really work on their 3-on-3 three three overtime and have a really good, effective strategy coming into this season because they need... I mean, the 3-on-3 three three is about every opportunity to finish the game without going to a shootout. That is what it's, that is what it's all about. But Lavilla just... I guess he just doesn't have a system for it. He doesn't have an effective way to, to, to handle it. And it's... You know, hurt the team last year, and it's going look like to look to keep hurting the team this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 3-on-3 three three sort of exposes everything that... every weakness that this team has about too much overpassing, not enough good high danger shots, and then allow the high danger shots that are allowed, which, you know, is what happens in three on three, yeah. like immediately go in. Yeah, it, it, it every three on three I can remember from last year, I don't, I mean, there were very few 
high danger chances created by the Predators. And one of the only ones I can remember is the Roman Yossi one where he actually scored and won. So many high danger chances allowed by the Predators just going the other way. I mean, almost all the games were lost that way. And this year, it seems to be kind of the same thing. They've been lucky enough to actually get to a shootout, if you can call that luck, because um, they haven't, especially the Fords, are just not shooting well in, in, in a lot of ways. All right. Um, so then that takes us to last night's game um, against the Carolina Hurricanes. And so this one, you know, obviously there's a there was a lot going on um, with some breakaways. And uh, I know that, uh, I think, Link, you tweeted this, that going into that game, Carolina's defense was kind of touted as this sort of very strong up the middle, great defensive but- Unit. Yeah, it was being. I mean, the uh, the analysts, the Predators, the, the Fox Sports analysts. Well, that's what they were talking about. And about hey, this is you know a surprisingly good young defensive core, and the Predators were like, oh, we'll take that breakaway and that breakaway, and we're going to strip the puck here. Yeah. I mean, they were just destroying that defense. With the young, first, except what? for Ron Hainsey, who's like yeah. sixty-seven. But the first, I think, what two, two like first period and a half or something, they were just destroying the Carolina defense uh-huh. and couldn't do anything with it. Yeah, yeah. But, Justin Falk, their number one defenseman, is massively overhyped. I watched him <laughs> at play with Seth Jones at World Championships. Jones is so much better. I like Elias Lindholm a lot better. Mm-hmm. He's a much he's a much better player. But um, yeah, the, so that defense definitely had some holes, and the Predators took advantage of those holes. But then James Neal, no finish. Yeah, no finish. Ryan Johansson has one. One of them is Yannick Weber, which no one's expecting, I guess. Uh, Here's a funny little observation. I rewatched the highlights for this game, and they showed the Yannick Weber breakaway before they showed the James Neal breakaway that it actually scored, even though uh, it happened later in the game, which was very strange to yeah. me. Yeah, it's sort of picking and choosing, creating a narrative. Yes. Hmm. No. But <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't do that. Um, by the way, Colin Wilson, who passed, who made that pass to James Neal that actually scored on the breakaway? Colin Wilson. That, it was a great long eyes pass. Just really great vision to see that. Uh, Subban had one as well. I think that one was to Johansson. Um, so yeah, the, the Predators were taking advantage of that. But again, there was just no no finishing. And also, I would say not enough shots in that game at all. Yeah, no, not nearly enough. I think shots. they got off, outshot like the entire game. I think for Predators the most part. Oh, you know, it's twenty. I mean, shots on goal. 25-27 in favor of the Predators. But still, 27. Yeah. Against against that Carolina team. Um, they also won 64% of the that does not pl- That does not play a great possession game, typically. Um, one thing about the Neal goal, though, and here's what... Here, I know we talked about this with uh, sort of the not getting the right kind of shots. Here's what here's what Neal had to do on that goal. He had to stick with it. Um, I think one of the main issues with the team shooting, is, there's just this sort of... There's no real... Stick with it. It's just kind of one shot and done. I, I trust my shot to be able to get through, so I'm going to shoot, and it's just either going to go in or I'm just going to come back and play D. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of garbage goals. There's no there's got to be garbage in front, but there's no one there to clean them up, and there's no one following up to to go get the shots when they don't go in because guess what? They're not going in. Yeah, the, that Johansson goal at the Avalanche game was the third rebound. I think right. Forsberg took a shot, Fisher missed, and then Johansson scored. Yeah, I mean th- this is a sport. All about chaos. And if you don't have a way, if you don't have a plan to handle that chaos or to take advantage of it, you're at an immediate disadvantage. And uh, the the team going into this year looked like it was going to say, hey, we're going to entirely rely on Fisher to be that guy. And that's dangerous because Fisher is, I mean, he's got an upper body injury. Wouldn't be surprised if it's his shoulder again. 
Um, I mean, his shoulder, he, he seems to hurt his shoulder most years in, in some, to some degree. It's just, you know, an injury from the years of, of playing a hard game. Yeah. Uh, but after that, I mean, who steps up? I mean, Wilson is a big enough guy where he can get in there and make some of that happen, but he's trying to create the passes and set them up. Um, so it's, so he has to try to set the offense up, get there and then reposition. I mean, Ribeiro's not going to do it. No. He's, he's not going to do it. I mean, Fiala is a little, little bit on the small side for that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Yarncroke, maybe. I was thinking Yarncroke uh, in Arvidsson. Guy, I mean, do you want Arvidsson there? Do you want Arvidsson no. in, in a shooting position? But I think if at the end of the year, when you look at all the goals and you, you were to somehow tally all the garbage goals that were sort of rebound, I think you're looking at probably Arvidsson and Smith are going to lead the way in that category because they just work so hard to get there. Um, so uh, we've we've talked about um, some of the some of the players that have been surprising. One surprising player, and I know you mentioned him uh, earlier, um, Matt Irwin, and uh, this was something that that Phil Hasley, I think, or it might have been McCarthy, one of the coaches at, at the in the uh, intermission. What color was his suit? Was it brown? <laughs> it was McCarthy. I think it was not brown, so it must have been Hasley. It must have been Hasley. Um, is and I think he's. This is not an exact quote. This is paraphrasing, but he's basically said that you know one of the reasons Matt Irwin has done so well is that he's just so calm. He's, in, in, especially when shooting, he doesn't panic. Uh, his shot really is is just kind of an average shot, but it's timing, and it's just that he remains calm in kind of all situations. And uh, I'm glad that Matt Irwin has solved one of the greatest mysteries in hockey, which is how to increase your shooting percentage consistently. I think he's got the highest shooting percentage in the entire team right now <laughs> at five on five. I mean, it's like, it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, good for Matt Irwin. Yeah. Love seeing the offense, love seeing him be involved, gives uh, Laviolette another opportunity, like someone to fill in with, uh, with Potato not being available. Way better, still doing way more effective than Carl, but come on. Yeah. Well, He's calm, so he can shoot the puck better than anyone else. Yeah. Well, considering how high-strung the rest of our defense is, I mean, I have to give him a little bit of props. Obviously, that's not the magic behind his shot right now, but it probably does help. Yeah. yeah. And and it, it probably in his deployment and his usage, he's not re- being required to play a full 200-foot game all the time, um, unlike Yossi, unlike Subban, Ekholm, Ellis. But, you know, I think there's something to that. I mean... Is he getting a little bit lucky? Yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah. He's definitely getting lucky. Games oh, I'm not, I don't want to take lucky. anything away from Irwin. I want to take it away from whatever coach said that. Because <laughs> that's not helpful. Fe- that's that's a problem. If like, Yeah, he's, he's shooting really well. He's scoring goals because he's so calm. He found his inner zen. <laughs> um, has you know he, he went through his his you know his ceremony to be, to be crowned crowned to be become a Buddhist priest, and now he can shoot unlike any other because well, he, he has realized that. There is no difference between him and the puck. They are one and the same and one with the universe. Therefore, the puck is essentially already in the net, so why not just shoot it? Yeah, well, and, and the, the root of all pain is desire, right? And he has no desire to score goals. He has no he desire just, to score He goals. just desires to, to, to be thoughtful and be mindful of the moment. Right, and he's, I think he's in the middle of the eightfold path, I believe. I think is what he's maybe like halfway there. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd say he's, he's you know, in third or fourth fold. I mean, it's definitely one of those little... Uh, <laughs> Fourth thing, you know, little little uh, uh, fortune telling. Yeah, I don't. What are those things called? Do you know? You know what I'm talking about? I'm trying to mime here with the, you know, it's like sort of like a pyramid, and you kind of you choose the letters and numbers, and you fold the thing out. Yeah, I don't exactly. Name for those? I don't know what they're There's called. There's a name. I don't remember what it is though. <laughs> someone, someone come through. We need to know the answer. So to that Matt one. Irwin is going to um, take everyone on a field trip to Tibet, and we're gonna. He's gonna take. Well, who's he gonna take there? He's gonna take Philip Forsberg there. He's gonna take Brian Johansson there. He's going to take um, Mike Ribeiro there. Right, Mike, they're not going to let him into bed. 
<laughs> and and they're going to talk about you know what it means to to accept that, that that life is decay, that life is nothing but death and decay, and you have to accept that you're not going to score any goals, in order to score goals. Essentially, I mean, this is this is, um, and I don't know. I, I haven't seen Doctor Strange. Anyone else? Seen, so none of us have seen it yet. Yet we're still kind of on the same road here. Um, yeah, I. I think I think that might be the next thing. I think they need to. Wasn't that wait? Wasn't this a plot for a movie with the Maple Leafs or something? Was it? Wasn't it, like what was the? I don't even know what I'm talking about. There was something that had it's like. Was this a dream you had? No, people are gonna people are gonna know what I'm talking about, but be like, yeah, you got all of that very wrong, and that's fine because I haven't seen it. But all of this seems really familiar. Please post in the comments on how there wrong was he like was. there was like a guru and a hockey team, and it was like an actual like big name Canadian actor who was on Saturday Night Live. Mike Myers. Yes, that's his name. I but that's all I can remember. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know anything about it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> back on called, topic. I think it was the Love Guru. Oh, that the Love Guru is that, that was about Mike hockey? Myers? I, there might have been hockey involved. I think you're talking about the Hockey Guru, which is Matt Irwin. Yeah, that's oh. true. <laughs> um, all right. So back on the Arizona game. Oh, I'm sorry, the Carolina game, not on the Arizona game. Carolina game. Um, what? Just quick thing about that it was terrible. Another shorthanded goal. Another shorthanded goal given up, um, and I, I am I'm at a loss because I I don't know I don't even know who you blame in a shorthanded goal. You can't necessarily blame the offense for for pinching up into the offensive zone and trying to score. It's a power play. You can blame the really soft cross ice passes. Okay, that's it. Always seem to be coming from the right wing for that's some good reason. Point. I think honestly, you can blame that little round two inch vulcanized rubber puck that just happens to bounce sometimes and goes places that it that's shouldn't. A mean name for Mike Ribeiro. <laughs> I don't know that you can blame Pecorine for giving for for having to defend a high danger chance that he shouldn't have, have shouldn't have to defend. Anyways, here's the thing. You know, you're we're not this team is not, you know, destined to give up a ton of shorthanded goals. I mean, they just don't want to count for that much scoring. I mean, they account for like 2% of all the NHL scoring. So it's not something we have to worry about, but it's just it when you see that happened it's frustrating, and, and I remember everyone around us was just stunned because you, you think, we're up 2-1, we got a power play, things are looking good, then you give up a shorthanded goal, and it's like everything just comes crashing down. Um, and it was also it was a great individual play. That pass from Lindholm to, to Hainsey, and how in the world does Hainsey make that move to, to go you know and find the, the, the five-hole there? I, I would say I, I would say that it was less Hainsy making the movie go five hole and Rene being a bit slow to get down the butterfly. Yeah. I mean, I just watched that. I'm like, at first, I'm like, how did he do that? And then I watched the footage yeah. again, and Rene just was was slow to make a decision. Yeah, yeah. every uh, he, piece yeah. in that sequence was bad, from the offensive yeah. pa- mispass to Yossi's attempt to get back to Pekka attempting right. to say that ev- just yeah. everything was bad. Yeah. Uh, Lindholm's backhand pass was was pretty sweet, but but you're right. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of blame. I just don't know where it sits square. It doesn't sit squarely on one person. I don't think. Um, again, just to finish up in the o- overtime, you know, they, they dominated that overtime possession and the best chance was Forsberg coming down who, who had just come off the ice. I think the hurricanes were out there for a, a, a longer shift and Forsberg came out and nearly beat ward. Um, you know, kind of built the, built the wall, kind of went around the defender, nearly beat Ward, but, but he didn't. And then in the shootout, you know, no words. What are they even doing out there? I mean, shooting it wide, shooting it high. 
Rene can't stop. Uh, who was it? Jacob Slavin or something. Now, at this at this point, I was um, I had the game on at the, in this in the overtime of the shootout, and I was just watching the Here's the Storm World Cup World Cup or World <laughs> Championship. So I was like, let's watch you know my favorite team lose to a team of elite South Koreans, and and mm-hmm. you know meanwhile whatever was happening with the Predators and the shootout, I was I just couldn't I just couldn't watch that right. So that's where we sit right now um, over the last two weeks. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to try to try to figure out what in the world's going on here and uh, see if there's any hope. I think I think uh, Link, as usual, is going to be the uh, the beacon of shining hope for us. That's a sentence that no one's ever <laughs> said in this show. So uh, we'll be right back. Uh, this, you're listening to the Predcast. These days, you need a partner current in latest website design standards, one that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for uh, sticking sticking around with us. Um, we are going to jump into kind of trying to figure out why and what's going on. Why are we so sad? Why why is this team making us sad? Um, we've already kind of hit the Zen Buddhism thing, so we're not going to go in that direction. But uh, I do want to try to analyze what's going on with this goaltending situation. And is if if that's the problem, if it, is it is it not the problem? I've Got some numbers here that kind of suggest that, uh, you know what, Pecorine is not the major reason that this team is sit- sitting at nine points at 11 games. Um, but I want to get your takes first. What what do you, is the goaltending, where are we with that? Is is, uh, is is Rene giving us chances to win? Is he is he the reason we're losing? What's what's going on, you think? I, I would say, I, th- I think we've seen Rene be Rene this year. Um, I mean, the big difference in his performance between last season and this season is that last season he wasn't stopping anything. High right. danger, low danger, medium danger, whatever, normal danger, whatever that middle area is called. He was not stopping anything. Um, this year he's back to normal mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in a lot of ways, which means he's stopping most everything, though uh, based on some charts that came out uh, today, I think it was Caroline Wilkes' um, Classicity yeah. Yeah. Uh, on Twitter, who, has, who does some great uh, advanced stats work. Uh, despite the fact that the Predators still are not giving up very many high-danger scoring chances compared to many teams in the league, Pekka doesn't stop any of them. He's one of the worst high-danger goaltenders in the entire league. It was the same thing last year, too. Uh, charged side-by-side. Side. He was in the same spot last year. Um, I, I haven't looked at the data even further back, uh, which could be an interesting experiment. I wouldn't be surprised to see the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, you know, but that's only a little bit. I mean, we're still looking at a lot of games where there's shorthanded goals he's facing, which is going to inflate 
high danger opportunities because um, they're going to be typically be breakaways in a lot of a lot of cases. Um, so I don't really think Peck has been the problem this year because the Predators are losing games that are two goals, two goal games, or, or you know two all or one two. I mean, there's some, been some tight games, and yeah. you can't put that on Pekka. He stopped if if he faces thirty shots and stops uh, twenty eight of them. Awesome. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, he's definitely not the problem. Um, his high danger scoring chances are are an issue. Um, especially because it's not no longer being inflated by you know all, all the other shots that he had been getting in the previous years, mm-hmm. he's not the issue. If he's only if they're only scoring two goals a game, it's not like they're having to score four like they did last year. Right. Yeah. He, so he sits currently uh, nine game. He's he's got nine games. So among regular starters, meaning that at this point they've started five games, um, he sits at twelfth in in all situations save percentage. He's got a nine sixteen save percentage in all situations. His career average is nine seventeen. So he's He's right at his career average. His even strength save percentage is nine twenty four, which is I think eleventh in the league. So so he's fine right there. I think you, I think you nailed it. I think he's fine. He's he's much better this year in sort of normal situations. And I think that's two things. I think that's he's probably feels a bit healthier. Um, I think he also uh, he's using his size more. I think he's always kind of been that that um, that goalie that uses his size to his advantage. And so, but when you get into those high danger situations where you have to react and move more, he's a little bit less produ- less effective. But right now, he's better than. Listen to the list of goalies that he's better than. He's better than Lundqvist. He's better than Luongo. Than Bishop, who's been bad. Uh, than Flurry. Than Morazic. Than than a lot of guys. Then uh, he he's not as you know obviously he's not Carey Price. He's not Braden Holtby. He's not even Martin Jones. But. Uh, He's not. Who is Martin Jones? <laughs> I don't no know. No one knows. Who is that guy? Um, you know, I hesitate to say that he's back to where to where he was because I don't think he's the same player he was four years ago, even three years ago. But um, and no one expects him to be to be that. Uh, but he's not the reason we're losing these games. No, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's easy. Again, it's easy to to pick out a goaltender and say he's the reason. It's the same. It's the same way that people look and say, well, you know, if Connor Wilson this and did that, I'm like, you, you ignore the 95 percent of the time he's doing good things, and you focus on on where sure. where he messes up. And I just use Connor Wilson as a convenient thing because I'm you know Mr. Rah Rah, let's go Wilson guy. Um, I mean, I I I, I feel like I'm harping on it at this point. Uh, where I think, I mean, it comes down to a couple of things. I think it's some decision-making issues. I think the Predators are making poor decisions consistently. Um, this isn't a, a you know, so Roberto's like, oh, I'm going to do a little, so, uh, he likes he likes those little soft passes that are tricky. And when they when they come off, they're really cool. They work. They create things, but he's not always reading the ice and saying, well, you know, I, I, if I pass here, he just assumes someone's going to be there and hopes for the best. And you see that across the board in a lot of ways. He's doing a lot of that in the defensive zone. I noticed it a lot last night during the Carolina game, attempting those little short passes just to sort of try to break out, and it immediately go to a, you know, a forechecking forward. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Robert real quick and come back to Rene actually since we're since we're on that. He leads the team in high danger chances created. He has thirty. He's created thirty four high danger chance, chances. That leads the team. I think the next closest is. Uh, um, Actually, I don't know who the next closest is, but uh, he leads the team. He also leads the team in, uh, well, not leads the team, but he's in the tops in the league in high danger chances allowed. So he, just like you said, he 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 does that in the defensive zone as well, and it doesn't always work. He's ca- captain net zero, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
but because of that, he's been he's been one of the better five v five sort of even strength, especially when you score adjust uh, on the team. He has a he's got a fifty three point seven core C four percentage, which is second on the team behind his line mate Craig Smith. You know, we talked about that line being really good. They they definitely are. You know, you can you can talk about offensive zone percentage start. You know, offensive zone starts. Um, I think all of that is a little bit overrated. I think that you know, sixty percent of, of people starts come on the fly. If you're looking at you know, in a typical game, a player gets twenty shifts. Twelve of those are going to come on the fly, and so yeah, maybe the remaining of the remaining eight, maybe five are going to come in the offensive zone. But but most of this is on the fly. And Ribeiro has not been bad. I, I hear him get just absolutely yelled at every time he turns a puck over, which is fine. You can yell at a player when he turns a puck over. But acknowledge when he's doing well, too, you know? Yeah, and he, he goes between um, brilliance and, and the most frustrating play in the team in the course of a shift. Yeah, and that's just kind of how he is. In the Arizona game, he had a really, really amazing pass. Or that slap pass that he did um, to score the first goal that was really, really great, right. and then he gives it away on the power play. Yeah, right. So it's... No, sorry, I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off, but um, your mention of Robert in the power play is something that I was paying a lot of attention to this past week. And something I was thinking of even from last year. He is the slowest puck mover on the power play. It's like know? watching surgery. Uh, I, yeah. And the thing is, how much time is burned with the puck on Roberto's stick is he just waits. And mm-hmm. yeah, the other team is happy to maintain formation, yeah. block the passing lanes, and let Ribeiro sit there with the puck. And then he gets frustrated, and he tries to go cross ice and turns it over, and then you have a shorthanded chance. I, I think, I in my opinion, and I'm sure there's some bias in here, I think the number one issue with the shorthanded goals is it actually comes from Ribeiro. I, I wouldn't be shocked. I, I, I mean, he's he is supposed to be the playmaker on the power play, and... If he he refu- he moves the puck very very slowly. Granted, he you know he's going for that pinpoint accuracy pass, but it's so slow the team can get set up and they are in in the spaces he needs and they intercept it when he for- tries to force it. Uh, the best way to solve that is is also a risk. It comes with its own risk, and that's moving it more quickly. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get the perfect passes, maybe, but you're also not going to let them set up, which is exactly what a power play or penalty kill wants. Right. Um. So, you know, of course, we're, we're still just trying to find some some uh, some shining light here. And, and I think the benefit of Microbarrel right now, slightly, definitely slightly, but but does outweigh the cost that he's that he's giving up. Now, is it is it excusable to give up some of the things he's given up? No, but I, I don't think that it, where would this team even be if they didn't have a line that was producing like that? It would be buried even further. Um. Since we're talking about sort of forwards, and, and you know, I think this does blend into the Pecorini situation, since we, we've kind of acknowledged that, that Pecorini is not the major problem. He's not winning us. He's not winning the team games, but he's not losing them. Where is the team losing? On the forward end. I mean, they're just not getting goals. They're just not, they're not shooting. And, and the primary, you know, goats on the team... Forsberg, zero goals, 20 shots. Didn't you have that there, uh, Link? I just have the shooting percentages. Oh, um, shooting percentages. Where, yeah, the 500 shooting percentages where <clears throat> the guys who I would say, I mean, the, the Johansson, the Forsberg, um, you know, Fisher, uh, Subban, I mean, it's guys who need to be scoring. You know, granted, you're not expecting 8% from a defenseman. Right. Um, but the guys who need to be scoring, there's, there's nothing there. And, you know, Forsberg's taken a lot of shots and, and knock on a lot of goals, I mean, more so, but... So these other guys are taking one shot, two shots a night, maybe. Mm-hmm. 
I just just what are you doing? Yeah. What are you trying to do? I mean, the the James Neal, uh, he's got two goals, but he's still below his average. I mean, he's still well below his average. He's got, he's, he has he leads the team with forty four shots, and he's got two goals. You can't continue that. I mean, that's got to that's got to improve. Uh, Johansson, one goal, twenty one shots. Um, what about the defense? Is, what about Ellis Neckholm? They have combined for thirty three shots, zero goals. I think some of it's bad luck. I think some of it you need to have increased volume. Uh, maybe it's it's deference to their to their new pairings, the new pairings, and it's like, oh, you know, I'm gonna give it to Subban. It's you know, it's PK Subban. Yeah, you know, he's got to score and he's gonna do something dynamic. And Subban, man, he tries, but you know, it's it's got to be a two person effort. So I think there's issues there. Um, I, I think another problem, and this is you know, a, a kind of a different thing with with the forwards, is you know, the fourth line has been deeply deeply bad this year um you don't expect the fourth line to be blowing people out of the water i know i understand their role their role is to one you give your your top guys a break it's supposed to be the hard grinding defensive minded guys but when they go out there you're getting 10 minutes a night where your team is going to basically be pinned in their own zone and that means you're going to have two elite defensemen who are going to spend 10 minutes a night pinned in their own zone and you know you, you look at you know bass is playing there now you look at at Watson and these guys. They just they go out there. They cannot clear the puck, and so you know there's going to be these period, these big chunks of time where Rene is going to get bombarded, where the team is going to get worn out because the fourth line cannot cannot skate and clear the puck, and that's all. A fourth line, in my opinion, should be able to do just two things. I want them to be able to get the puck out of the zone. And have it dump it deep. I don't want them to try and do a fancy zone. I want them to dump it deep and just forecheck and yeah. just, you know, make the other teams spend energy. Who cares if they score a goal? They're going to get some lucky goals now and again. Yeah. But just try and you know frustrate the other team a little bit. Mm-hmm. And instead, they get deployed in the defensive zone. They stay in the defensive zone. And the other team can just sort of run roughshod over them because the best they can do is to try to flip the puck over the blue line and, and pray the other team doesn't pick it up and take it right back in. Yeah. Yeah, their job is to get it out of the zone and get an offensive zone whistle. That's their job. They can't do it. And they wind up, like last night, they had a three-minute shift, and they ended in an icing. Yeah. Right. They had the entire ice, and they decided to ice it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not going well. I, I am willing to chalk that up to a revolving door. I mean, you, you've you thrown Kevin Fiala into that line. You've put Cody Bass there. Mika Salimaki, before he got injured. Uh, Austin Watson comes up and down. Um Yarn croak is thrown in there. Arvidsson. But it's not like it's a complex thing to be asked to do. No, but it, it is. You, all lines need some chemistry, and if Sissons is the one, co- the one constant, he's had a revolving door of wingers. Well, and a revolving door of wingers. A lot of them who, I mean, Salamaki's probably the best of the bunch who can actually get out of the zone. Yeah. So, I mean, could it simply be until Salamaki comes back in <clears throat> December, end of December and January, when Salamaki can skate again? Yeah. That that's how long the fourth line is truly bad. Uh, because Watson can't skate, and Cody Bass, we, I mean, Cody Bass's biggest impact has been skating into Philip Forsberg and and <laughs> and uh, creating a scoring chance for the opposing team. You're this ne- has been his biggest contribution. You're never gonna forget that play. <laughs> oh, it was it, well, it, it probably just, I think it destroyed probably a potential goal. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I love, I love that that will be that will be my forever memory of Cody Bass. With his my time forever memory of him is in the Duck series last year. Where he wildly coded himself into the end boards. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that was a great gif. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, all right, so fourth line, third line, second line's fine. First line, all three of the four lines just not playing well. 
um, in terms of scoring. And, you know, defensive play is maybe hit or miss, but but scoring, just not getting it done. I made a list of the goalies of the last two weeks that we, that the Predators have faced, and I want you to hear this list, and I want you to to really take this in. Just just consider the names on this list. John Gibson, twenty eight. He he had uh, twenty eight saves against the Predators. Peter Budai, twenty four saves. Martin Jones, twenty eight. Who's that? Who's Martin Jones? No one knows. <laughs> Semyon Varlamov, thirty one saves. Louis Domingue, thirty five saves, including um, two in the well. Not including, but also two shootout stops. Cam Ward last night, 25 saves. So are any of those players um, going to win any awards anytime soon? Gibson may have a shot in the future if he has a better team in front of him of winning something, but I don't think that's too likely. I think Varlamov maybe was in was in Vezina conversations a few years ago. He has, but I just don't like him. Yeah, I just don't like him, so I can't give him any credit. All right. No, but he, that's, he's been historically decent. But that's a bad. That's that is not a murderer's row of goalies. And in the, so of those six, yeah, six six goalies combined for a nine twenty nine save percentage. If you take out the Avs game where the Predators played well, nine forty six. So the Predators are just making some great highlight reels for these goalies out there to put on their package, and especially especially for a guy like Peter Budai, who is he. Is he? A, I How mean, old is Peter Budai? <laughs> um, I kind of keep forgetting about about him. I mean, I don't. He's one of those guys that I kind of like, just as a, as a general hockey player. But he's slipped from my memory. Like, where has he been for the past few seasons? Well, has I he think been he was, in, in he's Colorado? been in the AHL. Yeah, Pr- primarily AHL, and I think the Kings. Ha- the Kings yeah, actually 30, had him, he's thirty four. Okay, Kings had him last year, and then just signed him again because they were like, "Well, we'll never need him. We've got Quick, and we've got um, Zatkoff. Is that who their other backup was? Both of them are injured, so." Um, but anyways, the, the point being, you know, there's this sort of running joke with the Predators that they that they they generally do fine against some some top goalies, but then uh, their their main bugaboo is the the, the backup goalie. Especially P- Peter Budai's career save percentage is a nine oh three. Yeah, there you go, nine oh three. He was uh, twenty four of twenty six, which is like a nine thirty against the uh, Predators. So it's just. It's really frustrating when you're going into games that you should be winning some of those games, not just playing well, but winning. And you can't beat Louis Domingue. He stopped 35, he had 35 shots or 35 saves. You can't beat Pierre Budai. You can't even beat Martin Jones or Varlamov. I mean, who? Who's Martin Jones? (laughs) Anyways, I just, it's so frustrating to see. And and, uh, what what do you even do? I mean, how do you, how do you coach a team? Hey, the other guy in the net, He's not good. You should shoot and score on him. I, I, I think you just nailed it. Um, take the shots. Take shots. I mean, go go into the uh, the difficult area. I mean, it sounds like complete garbage. It's like you got to go into the hard areas and you got to take shots and you got to get the garbage. It's like yeah, the yeah, this actually makes sense this time. Like it doesn't yeah. sound like it sounds stupid because we hear it all the time, but it actually makes sense. On the Arizona game, they were up what eighteen to six in the first period, and like that's great do it again right, and what exactly. they did instead was sit back all right yeah exactly it, 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 18 i mean the, a lot of the, it should have been a lot a, a lot worse to be honest because they were predators were all over them but then they like you said they they let up so just just a frustrating couple of weeks and a frustrating season um there's not a lot not a lot else to say um so uh let's get into some twitter questions how about it 
Yes, please. Anything <laughs> that's not this past week. <laughs> uh, well, you're not going to like this first one then. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> this comes from at Brent Sauer. Sauer? Sower? Brent Sower? A sower of Brent's? Anyways. Sauer? It's probably his last name. He says, if you could change slash fix one thing about the Predators right now, what would it be? If you could change or fix one thing about the Predators, what would it be? I, I actually know mine. And uh, someone mentioned this. I think it was uh, Eric, I think, on Twitter. He said that they're not embracing the gold enough. They're using too much, too many. Uh, they're using the, the blue pants too much. They just need to go all gold. Gold socks, gold pants, uh, gold. I mean, are they on the gold gloves or are they still kind of navyish? I think they're still navy. navy. Yeah. Yeah. Gold. I mean, yeah. Go for full banana suits and. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, switch. I mean, actually, you know, they could switch back to the navy helmets and they have look like little stems top of banana. Yes. Um, so, and their skates will look like the bottom of a banana. Okay. Um, and no one will ever be able to finish them off because no one eats that little last part of the banana where you've got the stem that, at the bottom. So per- no one will ever be able to take them, completely take them out. No one can skate against them because it's skating as banana peels. There you go. Slip. They're going to slip and fall. How many banana jokes can we make in, in five minutes? Um, more than we need. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should make more, but we'll move on. Yeah, uh, they're losing their appeal. Let's go back. <laughs> yes. There we go. Um, what is, uh, let's go back to Brent's question. What, if you could change one, change, fix one thing for real this time on the Predators, what would it be? Like wave a magic wand or like actually make a trade. Cause if I could just wave a magic wand, I would have made Forsberg score goals. Let's say we would have won. I, I would, I would, I would, um, if I could, my magic wand answer is just put Joe Quinville in, in, in charge. <laughs> um, Joel Quinville or Mike Babcock, maybe I'll, I'll take Quinville first. Babcock's overrated. Well, I think I think Babcock, I, I, his he is extremely good, but I am less excited about his structured method and the way he executes it. it mm-hmm. You get results, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. But I'm not interested in watching a team that plays that way. Okay, it's trots, but with more wins. Yeah, so because he plays for more, he plays for richer teams. Your question was a real change or a magical change. I'm going to say a real change. What would be a real change you would make? You you have David Poyle job for the day um what what change would you make if you had to make one maybe a legit 2c because uh mike fisher is injured right now mike ribero is mike ribero so if we could fit somebody else in there maybe to skate between say forsberg and fiala okay. and sort of inject a little bit more offense into the lineup i i, I pined all last year for, or in the off season for us to get david backus I mean, most of us did, but not the number that he signed for in Boston. Yeah. I was not pining for that. Um, <laughs> uh, so, Poyle for a day. Um, can you specify exactly when this day is? Because I would like to wait a few weeks before I have my day. Your day is going to be on November 20th. November 20th. Okay. So, you've got so, 14 days. November 20th, if things continue on the course they are, I think uh, my change would be that. Like, I think I think there may be some coaching issues. Um, I, I think the Predators problems, a lot of them. Are are coach coachable dis, uh, problems? I think there are things that a coach can address, okay. um, like mental mistakes. Uh, ro- you know how they're rotating in the zone. Uh, you know, syst- I think it's. I think there are some system things, and so I. Th- I think if the Predators are still looking so bad with the talent that they have, you may look at. You know, is there a way we can like we can say okay, this season is is going to be a challenge. Maybe we can scrape in the playoffs, but let's set up for the future. We need we need someone with some new ideas. Okay. Um, I mean. You know, Alex, you and I were talking a little bit. Laviolette has a tendency to wear out his welcome after about four or five seasons. Mm. He's in his third year in Nashville, and maybe he's getting there a little bit prematurely. I don't know. I, I this this is a little painful to say because I was so excited 
um, about Laviolette. But I'm just that's one thing that frustrates me. Is I don't think the coaching is there. Well, here's a sort of a hot take. What about Phil Housley? I know everybody's all about him, especially because he's an American Hall of Famer. But has he really had the sort of impact that we want him to have had? I mean, he he was on a, a short list of a lot of head coaching jobs this you know this time last year. I, I, yeah, I I think in in my in my opinion, I think it's um. You know, obviously you have McCarthy is Laviolette's guy and Housley is Poyle's guy. I mean, I, I just, I think it's a clean house situation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's very rare that you fire the head coach and he takes his whatever, whoever goes with him. And then you, the guy who steps up is, you know, ends up being the savior and being there permanently. I can't recall that happening successfully in time recently. Usually mm-hmm. the guy who steps up is gone um, pretty quickly or he's just interim. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, if we're thinking that the team itself is built well, sounds like, I mean, neither of you mentioned, well, you mentioned getting a 2C, but uh, not, no no one's really mentioning, you know, we need to change goaltenders. We need a new, you know, we need to get a, a top I love line. I Soros, you know that, but I, that's, not a, that's not a real answer. Right, right. <laughs> that's a magical answer. No, it's not a magical answer either. It's just not practical. Right, right. Um, but... There's maybe there's something to what you guys are saying that that um, that coaching is not is not quite there yet uh, because the team has talent and and the thing like Laviolette could figure it out he's still in charge he's still running things he could have a plan that he's working on so I'm not just I, I don't say this lightly like you know get him out of there he's a bum they're done he's still the coach yeah. he he has to find a way to to work through this he is the guy who's in charge of the team's structure their style of play. He has to be a moral, kind of a morale, moral, yeah, he needs morale. to be a moral leader. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, I, <laughs> I was getting there. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was going back to the Buddhist thing, I think, too much. The moral, the moral, um, moral leader. He needs to be the moral leader of the team. <laughs> um, I mean, he, he has to have a voice. It's not just the captain being like the, you know, locker room guy. The coach has to be part of that as well. He's part of the culture. He's team dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you think that the whole, I'm sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, there's just something weird about this new season. Uh, um, they went from the gold boot as the post-game prize to now it's like a dog with a bone, some sort of chain thing going on. <laughs> so I wonder sort of how much like of that changed behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I had some I had some notes that I jotted down. I think I can't. I it, sometime the past couple of weeks um, during this bad stretch is that uh, I I tend not to put a huge emphasis on captaincy like a lot of like some people do i don't i don't really put a lot on that but you you listen to fisher and talk about we need to be harder to play against we have to you know fisher is a career grinder granted as far as career grinders go he's probably one of the best um i mean not like power forward but i mean like actual legit grinder type Mm -hmm. role he's probably one of the best he's consistently you know scoring 20 goals and getting a lot of points uh and longevity in in his style of play being playing at his age um with that style but then he goes up, and you've got a lot of really young, dynamic talents who are in their, you know, early twenties. And he's like, you know, he's a good old hockey boy from Canada. It's very different culturally than even like, you know, Shea Weber was a defenseman who you know you expect more of that from, or, or you know, a, someone like Yossi or uh, uh, Forsberg taking a leadership role. You have a guy who's like, you know, we're gonna, you know go out back and skate in the pond and fix all of our problems by throwing down and having a fight. And then we'll go yeah. get something Canadian to eat. <laughs> I don't know. I know, I know poutine and I know like Tim Hortons. I don't know if there's other traditional Canadian foods. Probably not. I do know that there is, there is part of Canada that's on a time zone that has a, a half hour difference from other time I, zones. I've seen and that. Newfie time. Newfie time. Yeah. 
That's a weird group of people. Um, yeah. They cannot be trusted. Um, and if Canada tolerates that, then they cannot be trusted. When you take time zones and take it a step further, that's you know you yeah. are bored. Yeah, like, I just I, I just look at you know some of the young guys and say, how much is the message of you know good traditional hockey values resonating in that locker room? Mm-hmm. Uh, and does it does it hurt the team? Yeah. I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, this is this is we were getting into the realm of wild speculation. Sure. Um, so you go from and, a guy who basically has his own like planetary gravity or an orbit around him to Mike Fisher, who's a great guy, but maybe a little bit less. So. Yeah, I mean, I was mm-hmm. never thrilled with um with the Mike Fisher captaincy, even if it was just for one year. I think there's a number of guys in the team. I mean, I was I was even pushing like my my wild card was Ryan, was Ryan Ellis. Oh, he has, um, the a, he has the A now. So yeah, he has, he so he has he has a letter, um, but he was kind of my outside wild card for for captain because I just think I just see him and he he for the way he plays, he just kind of sort of commands presence. It's how yeah. he's been successful being an undersized defenseman. Yeah, um, he was Taylor Hall's captain in Windsor. Yeah, I mean he's 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 demonstrated he has leadership. So I just you know I I just think if if you're going for a younger generation team and you've got a window you're trying to keep open. You get a guy who exemplifies the culture that is in the room, not pick a guy who 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 exemplifies a culture that you as a as a leadership team may aspire to. Yeah. Now, granted, they might have done it like a closed ballot box captain selection, but I don't care. Right. Um, another question from at J Fullen Wider One: At what date and time are we fans allowed to panic without being told it's too early in the season? I, I think you already have a date in mind, right? Well. I also have a first message. First of all, you're a fan. You do whatever you want as long as you're not, like, doing anything harmful. If you want to panic now because that's what you feel, just, just I mean, panic a little bit. If anyone's yelling at you, that's that's their problem. Don't let us stop you. Now, realistically, I mean, everyone goes by the same measure. It's, it's you know, 20 games in, roughly around Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, um, you, you have a general idea of how things are going to start shaking out. There would be some shuffling, but if you're way behind if your team is way behind they're probably going to stay way behind with unless they go on a, an amazing run um if they're in the mix they'll probably stay in the mix uh so that's really the great judging point i mean right now the predators 11 games in and i figured out why my count was off i i, I turned the page to take, begin taking notes and started back at seven again so i went seven eight nine seven eight nine <laughs> so that was fantastic um, so the predators wouldn't mind to do that no no they wouldn't mind at all so i, I and yeah now i just did that to lose where i was mentally yeah, I started panicking back about game three because that's what I do. I panic a lot. But Thanksgiving is, you know, that's the average normal answer. If, if by 20 games they're way behind, let's figure out what we're going to do next season. Call up Kamenev, let him get him some games in. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I, I'm, well, I guess I'm somewhere in between. I, I wasn't panicking four or five games in. I'm, I'm a little bit panicking now, uh, but I'm, I'm holding out until really Thanksgiving um, to, to really hit that button. Um, we've the several questions that were cover some things that we kind of already talked about. Um, at awesome Tania asks, how far doth we sucketh? Which I think we've kind of talked about. How forth? How for? How for? Doth we sucketh? Yes. We we just do. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> Correct. Correct. We, we've covered that we've terrible shooting. Per- terrible shooting percentage. Uh, Pecorini is not winning games for us. He's not losing them and just general not with itness all over the ice happening. Yep. Bad special teams play as of recent recently. Um, I'm going to skip that one and come back to it. 
with all the shenanigans going on in New in the New York Islanders concerning goalies, is there any chance David Poyle goes after Yaroslav Halak? Oh, please no. That is <laughs> not a great idea. Um, not this year. I mean, I don't. What do you give up to get him? And what happens to Rene? You send Rene back to. I think, you send, I think you send UC Soros to the Islanders for Yar Halak. Alex, you are, you, are, you are just the worst. You leave Little Bear out of this. What if that happens? It's it's, happen. then I, then I guess this is an Islanders podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. We change, we change the colors. Put up some... some uh, what's the name of the guy? The Islanders dude? The little man? What's his name? Gordon's name. Fisherman Man? Yeah, but it, he has a name, doesn't he? Does he have a name? He might. I think he does. Does he have a name? He's like Islanders fan guy. Anyways, I'll look it up. Yeah, you do that. Um, no. No. I mean, th- 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 There's no reason to. I mean, Rena's been playing fine. I mean, the only reason you make a, any trade like that is if you said, all right, you know what? We get it. We're kind of done with Rene. Let's find a trade partner who's going to get us a contract we can move. Yeah. Yeah, and then assuming Rene wants to even move because he's one of the he's one of the handful of guys in the team with trade protection. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it would happen either because, well, what if the what if the Islanders were willing to take on the second worst goalie contract in their history behind Rick DiPietro's like ten year deal? Oh, poor Rick, that would be insane. Um, all right, so let's go to. Let's go to this one because I like this one. This one this one came through right before we started, at win thirty three seventeen. I know everyone's fixated fixated on the Weber Subban trade winner, but who's winning the Seth Jones Ryan Johansson trade thus far? What do you guys think? I've got some numbers here, but I, I want to hear your takes first. Yeah. Okay. So the winner of a trade, people, hockey fans are obsessed with winning trades. This is actually not just hockey fans. Any sport anywhere in America. In North America, I mean, like all of, let's just say all of America, North and South, period. We're just going to mash it all together. Is obsessed with winning trades. Teams typically make trades for reasons. They they do it to win the trade. They do it because they need something. Um, now, granted, sometimes these trades appear lopsided, uh, often because a team is trying to clear up cap space or has some other issue. So their 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 purpose is not to win; it is to alleviate a problem. Um, and in that way, they they've had a successful transaction. Um, now, specifically in the case of Seth Jones and Ryan Johansson, one team needed an elite center. The other team really needed a good, high-quality young defenseman. Mm-hmm. These teams found each other. They looked deeply in each other's eyes. They knew <laughs> what the other had that they needed, and they exchanged a beautiful, beautiful thing. And guess what? Predators fans, pretty happy with Ryan Johansson. Columbus fans, they're very happy with Seth Jones. I think everyone won that trade. I mean, you can't, first of all, it's really hard to compare, hey, is our defenseman better than your center? Right. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, our center is is not a defenseman. Right. Should we play 15 games where they swap roles? Um, See who's better in playing the off position and then have them fight like American Gladiator style with those pillow stabs on a a couple of pedestals? (laughs) Yeah, okay, maybe we can solve things once and for all. But no, I, I think I think both teams got what they wanted, um, and uh, I think it was a good deal for both teams. Uh, I miss having Seth Jones around, yeah. but the other team, the, the Predators, really needed a number one center, and they made it happen. And the asset they gave up is is frankly an asset they could afford to give up, all things considered. I completely agree. 
the, pre- the Predators moved their number five defenseman for a number one center. That's mm-hmm. sort of what it comes down to. Both teams got what they wanted. I know Columbus fans tend to think they won the trade because they have some issues with Ryan Johansson. But when it comes down to just like Link said, both teams got what they needed out of the deal. So what nobody... was what did Seth Jones sign for? What was his deal? Less than he probably should have. Yeah. I think it was a five point five by six. But he's a good that American. He's a good American boy. So. <clears throat> yeah, right. No, he I... really hadn't had sort of the. Um, sort of the numbers he needed, especially because he was buried as the number five defenseman in Nashville yeah. with Astromore. Could you imagine that contract negotiation where you're sitting there, Seth Jones with his agent, and like in walks John Tortorella and just like flexes and tears his shirt and just sits down and is like, sign this. Right. It is kind of interesting, though. I know um, back when the trade went down, there was some sort of speculation amongst us about what he would be signing for, especially because I believe Jay-Z is his agent or something like that. Yeah, he's part of Jay-Z's and, talent And then agency. he wound up signing for that amount in Columbus. Well, but he's, he's an RFA, right? Yes, he's an RFA. So he's an RFA. How long is the contract for? Six Just years. Six years? I mean, that's a little rough. I was, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit surprising. Um, so he, he's but, set him up perfectly. He'll be 28 when that's over. Yeah, so maybe, I mean, maybe there's some very... Like, oh, hey, small pond, be the big fish, and then come out and, and cash in big, play the long game. Yeah, if you can do that playing in Columbus. Um, just, just quick numbers quick numbers here. Uh, Ryan Johansson, since he's come on for the Predators, 53 games, 40 points, not only only nine goals. You'd like to see more goals. But he's been a better, you know, per game, uh, Ryan Johansson has a, a higher point game, points per game average with the Predators than he did with Columbus. Um not not a whole lot higher, but a little bit higher. He's been a, a little bit better of a possession player as well. Uh, Seth Jones, had, same thing. Seth Jones has been a little bit better, you know, more point per game kind of player. Uh, granted, from a different position, and uh, but his possession numbers are about the same, I guess. So he's not. Uh, I don't think any either team can look and say, "Oh, this is a steal for one side." No, it, both teams got what they wanted. I don't think anyone would think that the Predators right now needs, you know, they have four kind of similar defensemen at home, maybe a little bit of a different kind uh, flavor, but he's very, he's a very Swedish defenseman. Yeah. It, four very similar defensemen. I don't think anyone's thinking, Oh, they need five. Uh, I think it would, if anything, it might just confuse things more. And when you got guys like Yannick Weber and Matt Irwin, who seem to have clamped down that third pairing, no one's sitting here saying we're Seth Jones away from really, you know, being yeah. a good team. I do want to qualify when I say he's a very Swedish defenseman. It means he, if you ask him to do something, if you ask him to step back and play defense, he will say yes, I will do that. He will work hard at it. He will do, you know, there's a, there's a tendency for the Swedish players to be like, yep, I will, I will totally do that if it helps the team win. There's a there's a great sense of huh. selfless. Yeah. Okay. There was I'm trying to remember. There was a great article about kind of the, the the mindset of some of the Swedish players coming over where their roles start changing in North America versus in Sweden due to the different play style. I'd love, if I can find that, I'll, I'll try to get it out on Twitter. Sure. Um, it was a really interesting read, but then again, I'm a little, ups- I, I do love Swedish hockey players. <laughs> yeah, we're already having enough an issue trying to figure out who can play with Roman Yossi because we have too many of the same kind of defensemen. Mm-hmm. So like adding Jones into that just uh, magnifies the problem. But we don't have anyone other than Ryan Johansson that can play that 1C position. That's exactly. inarguable. I mean, he's the only one that can play that right now. Um, all right, let me get uh, one, well, maybe, um, yeah, one more. Uh, <laughs> actually, no, I want to do that one. Okay. Since hockey is making me sad, I'll ask about soccer. Who do you think finishes top four now that we've had 10 weeks to watch? Link? Oh, man. Who finishes well, in the top four? Yeah, I need to get the EPL table up real quick. I mean, there's some easy ones. I, mean, I think City, you know, is pretty clearly... Going to be a top four team. By the way, that came from at Meeks one hundred two. Um, Sorry about that. So I mean, it, yeah, I mean, City is just just way far ahead. Um, I, I think in terms of quality, uh, 
Chelsea is yeah, going to be good. Liverpool. Uh, yeah, Liverpool is has come a long way from the past few years. But then again, that's mostly yeah. Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp is such a good manager. Great. Um, I mean, his style. If you if you can take a style you played in Bundesliga and bring it and play it effectively in the EPL, Huge. you're going to you're going to have a lot of successful games. Sort of a high risk though, because well, if it doesn't work, you're out. <laughs> you know, but but the the teams in England aren't really set up for that. Um, at least the, the way that, that Klopp plays it, uh, with, with his heavy, heavy pressing active style. Mm-hmm. And Liverpool has the talent and the type of players to make that effective. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think those three teams are probably definitely going to be the top four. Um, that last spot, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, it, I want to say that Arsenal-Tottenham will fight for that, which inevitably means that Arsenal will finish above Tottenham like they do every single year in the entire time they've been alive. I think Tottenham finishes fourth um, for sure. Uh, well, if it's bless, between those bless two. Bless you, but... Uh, oh, I think, I think they, they're a different team than they've been last year. What? Arsenal? No, Tottenham. Tottenham were amazing last year. Um, sorry, I'm a Spurs fan. We, we feel nothing but sadness. <laughs> um... But no, I, I think I think Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City. I mean, that's those are three really strong teams. Man City could. I mean, once um, De Bruyne comes back, they're going to be really dangerous again. I mean, they're missing probably their best player. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little biased. I love De Bruyne because um, yeah. he was with Wolfsburg um, in the Bundesliga, and I loved watching him there. He's a great Belgian. Um, that's true. So yeah, that's that's how I kind of feel um, about that. And I do. I'm just going to glorify it in the fact that Leicester's playing exactly up to their talent level. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, my thoughts. I think Liverpool finishes second behind City, and I think I think Arsenal finishes third. Tottenham finishes fourth. Maria, do you have any thoughts on soccer? I do not watch any soccer. <laughs> well, sorry to do that, but I, I I like that question. And to be honest, there's been a lot of sad hockeyness going on, and totally feel you uh, at Meeks 102 because uh, it's. Not fun watching this team just struggle. Let's go ahead and uh, talk about the week ahead and finish up here. Um, the Predators have three home games this week. Uh, they play Tuesday against the Ottawa Senators. They play Thursday against the St. Louis Blues. They play Saturday against the Ducks. What's a realistic point total here? I mean, this is the thing about this week is is I have what I believe they should do and what. I've witnessed over the past few weeks that tells me what tells me different different tells me differently. I got it out in the end. There you go. Uh, I mean, the Ducks still not a great team. It's a Randy Carlyle team. There's nothing good there. I mean, it's just sad, and it, the logo is sad, and the uniforms are sad, and they're sad. And then Ottawa is Ottawa. I mean, they're they're built to basically um, like be a tax shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just, they're just not there to actually play hockey. Um, I think, and Anderson's unavailable due to the kind of the tragic news in his family with his wife having cancer. Right. So, I mean, that, that hurts the team and I'm sure that's a difficult thing to, to, to handle on an organizational level. Certainly. Um, so, I mean, I think there's two games that the Predators have a really good chance to go out and win. I mean, they have every opportunity to be able to win those. At this point, if you ask me, are they, they going to win either of them? I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. I think the Blues are going to be a real test. Um, it's, it's kind of a game that could either be mind-numbingly boring, a St. Louis Blues game on a Thursday, or it could break the Predators oh, out God. of their funk. I mean, it's just... It, it, it's hard to pick because... Well, I mean, even... T- I don't know what's going to happen. Tuesday against Ottawa. I mean, if they play anything like they did 
you know, that Tuesday game against the Stars where it was just no offense constantly, that's going to be a terribly boring game. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think the the thing to look forward to on the Tuesday game against Ottawa is Subban versus Carlson. <laughs> that's true. Who outdefends the other? I've got two different answers. It's like, what do I, th- what I think they should do be- based on like what they should look like versus my actual pessimistic answer. They should be able to win all these games. There's no reason why they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. My pessimistic answer thinks I'll be lucky to get two points out of this week, maybe against Ottawa or maybe getting two overtime losses. Wow, that's where we are as a team. This should be this should be a four point week minimum for the Predators. The, the Predators we expected at the start of the season should be a four point week easily. Five points would be my preference. Realistically, yeah. I, I I like what Mario says. I think they have to pick up two points. Um, well, they probably will pick up two points. They have to pick up more than that. I th- I think they go one one and one. I think they they I don't know which one of those ones fall in each game, but I think that's what they do. I think that's they are a very inconsistent kind of team. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they put up a performance like they did against Colorado against one of those teams. I don't know which one, and I wouldn't be shocked if they lose like they did against the Ducks um, a week, two weeks ago. So um, one other note here, six of the remaining 11 November games are against central opponents. So they play the Blues twice, the Jets twice, the Stars, and the Avalanche. So that's six, you know, six well, of, their, of their remaining November games. That's going to tell us a lot. Well, you, you talk about it. We talk about how important November is and that, that Thanksgiving date. With all those central games, those are those are... The most key games of the season because that's your that's your seeding potential yeah. in the playoffs. If you lose out on those, you're losing important important points. And, and they don't play. You know, they're playing. You know, they're not playing. Uh, no one in the Central's bad except for maybe the Avalanche. I mean, the Jets are the Jets are not bad. I mean, the Stars are not bad. The Blackhawks and the Wild are not bad. I mean, I have I, I don't think I've seen the Wild play hockey this year. Granted, I mean it's the Wild, so it's always up in the air. It's very similar, but to um, how they've been the last five years. So, <laughs> I think Dubnik got three shadows in a row. Yeah, and then they lost one nothing to Colorado. Yeah, uh, exciting! So exciting. Zach Parise is playing well. So Dubnik I, I heard by. Parise got hurt though. Is he back? Oh, did he? Okay. He, well, well, it was might have been midweek, so he might okay. be back. It might have been a minor injury. Um. Anyway, so it just. It, Again, with the whole panic, panic, not panic thing. If at the end of November, after all these central games, the Predators are kind of in a similar situation now, you can hit that panic button. You should hit that panic button as as as, as often as you can because things will be bad. Um, so, any final thoughts? Anyone have anything they want to throw out there? You look, you all look so sad. I'm just I'm like I'm a little sleepy. Yeah, I can understand. Um, that. And I have I have you know it's it's you know I got a day ahead of me still, so okay. I'm trying to trying to preserve my energy, much like um, a lizard who's who's trying to find a nice sunny stone to warm the blood to be, to find acti- to become more active. Maybe find some insects to eat. I mm, or are you a vegetarian lizard? I I just I I struggle with insects, so I'd okay. like to stay away from that. Okay. Yeah, sort of. I have lower bowl tickets against the Blues on a Thursday, so I guess we all know how that game's going to go. Oh, my gosh. What kind of lizard are you? I'm a very unmotivated lizard at the moment. <laughs> okay. Um, I am a skink, is what I am. I like to hide in the, the slippery kind of... I, I had no idea that I was... I, 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 I'm sorry I brought up lizards. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you know more about this than Mario or I. <laughs> No. Um, all right. So that is going to do it for us. Um, thanks for listening. As usual, we really appreciate your um, patronage. However, you say that word. 
Uh, patronage. <laughs> patronage. He is Chris Link. You can follow him on Twitter at 3D Link. She is Maria. You can follow her at underscore Maria underscore K. I'm Alex Darty at Alex Darty One. You can follow the show at On The Forecheck and uh, go to our website at uh, onthefourcheck.com. Uh, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next time. I can figure out how to work a fryer.